each other. They're all written by the same person, and you'll hardly ever hear anybody preach from any of them. What are those three books? I see a hand at the back. Shout. Proverbs. Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes. Well done. Proverbs. Ecclesiastes. Oh, something's gone odd there. Ecclesiastes. And the Song of Solomon. All written by Solomon, next to each other. When did you last hear a sermon from any of those? Uh, pro- proverbs we're probably fairly familiar with. I know a lot of people read Proverbs. Um, we don't often hear somebody preach a whole sermon on it. If, um, if you've been in this church for some years, you'll know that uh, I've actually preached quite a bit from the Song of Solomon. I did a whole series on it um, a few years ago. Um, but today I'm going to preach from a really obscure passage in Proverbs. It's not deliberately to say, you know, let's do something obscure or to make it more difficult for Jill. Um, but you know, the Bible says that we should live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It says that all scripture is profitable for us. And uh, you know, sometimes we just go round and round the same familiar passages. And I believe there's so much treasure all the way through the Bible. So today I'm going to preach from a passage in Proverbs. On Wednesday night, I'll be speaking from the Song of Solomon, and it's not a message that I've spoken before from it, so um, if you want to hear something from that book, come on Wednesday. And the following Wednesday, I'll be speaking from Ecclesiastes. I've actually never spoken from Ecclesiastes myself, so I'm building up to that one. (laughs) So today, Proverbs, Wednesday, Song of Solomon, the next Wednesday, Ecclesiastes. Okay, and the passage that uh, I want to share with you from Proverbs is in, is in, whoops, 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 uh, I've killed it. Oh, no, that's it, right. Uh, <laughs> Proverbs chapter 30, verses 18 and 19. There are three things that are too amazing for me. Four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a young woman. I hope you're all going to stay awake, because you might hear some things you haven't heard before. Um, Now the first, you think, what's a strange passage? There are some strange things in the Bible, aren't there? And uh, yeah, the first thing that might strike you about this passage is why does it say there are three things that are too amazing? There are four that I do not understand. In fact, if you read through the whole of Proverbs 30, you'll find that that sort of way of speaking is used quite a lot in Proverbs 30. It's also used in Psalms, Amos, Isaiah, and Job. This idea of saying there's so many things and then there's so many plus one. It's just a figure of speech that's very common in Hebrew. We actually do a similar thing in English. So we say, yeah, there's six or seven reasons why you should listen to me today. It just means there's a long list of reasons. It somehow makes it sound more impressive if we say there's six or seven reasons. And the other thing, by using this technique, it tends to put an emphasis on the last item in the list. So we say there's three things 
that are too amazing, but there's four that I don't understand. Now, the fourth one in the list is the way of a man with a young woman. So that's really what this proverb is about. He's saying the most amazing thing is the way of a man with a woman, the relationship between men and women. He said, I just cannot get it. Is there any man here today who thinks that they understand women? Is there any woman here today who thinks they understand men? I thought we might get some hands up for that one, but yeah, thank you, right. (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) praise God. (laughs) Well done. But there's, there's there's something mysterious about the interaction between men and women, how one is attracted to the other and all the sort of games that we play with each other and everything is mysterious. So the writer is saying, um, yeah, that's the, one, the thing that I really don't understand, but in order to make his point, he takes three other mysteries. One from the sky, an eagle. One from the land, a snake. And one from the sea, a ship. But it's to make his point the real mystery is the way of a man with a young woman. Now let's think about something else to do with Proverbs. Often with a proverb, there's a a literal meaning and there's a deeper meaning. Let's take another proverb. Proverbs 25 and verse 16. If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it and you will vomit. Okay, now the literal meaning of that is if you eat a great big pot of honey, you'll be sick, right? That's fairly obvious, isn't it? Um, But the deeper meaning is that too much of any good thing can actually have a bad effect. The thing might be good in itself and sweet, but if you just go on and on and on with that thing, it can have a bad effect. So we've got a literal meaning and a deeper meaning. So now let's apply that to our Proverbs 30 passage. So the literal meaning is that the way of a man and a woman is more, there's something mysterious about it, and so is the way an eagle flies in the sky and a snake on a rock. He said, this is all mysterious. That's the literal meaning. But is there a deeper meaning? I believe that there is. And uh, that these four mysteries that are spoken of here actually correspond to four mysteries in the New Testament. Let's have a look. Okay, so the four mysteries, an eagle in the sky, a snake on the rock, a ship on the high seas, a man with a woman. Let's take the first one an eagle in the sky. God himself, God compares himself to an eagle on more than one occasion. Exodus 19 verse 4, he said to the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Deuteronomy 32, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them, and carries them on its pinions, the Lord alone led him. So the eagle speaks of God himself, just as there's something mysterious and majestic about that eagle floating in the sky, you know, how it can like, sort of just stay there, sometimes in, in midair, hardly moving. You know, it's mysterious. Now you might say, oh, I don't think it's mysterious, I know all about the sort of wind and the thermals and all this sort of stuff that keeps it up there. It's a shame when you know too much and you lose the, you lose the mystery of things. You know, I hope that you can still 
look at things. My, my wife and I were in Kew Gardens last week and just sort of looking at some of the flowers and saying, that is absolutely amazing. You know, and uh, we actually went down, there's an aquarium underneath the, one of the um, hothouses there. And we were looking at these beautiful, beautiful fish, some of them just sort of like wafer thin, but absolutely filled with colour. And think, how on earth does that thing hold? It's just like a sliver of paper, thinner than paper. You know, how does it live? How does it exist? I hope you've got that sense of mystery in your life. And you know, just as that eagle in the sky is mysterious, so is God. He's mighty and mysterious. He's majestic. He's far above us. You know, in the book of Job, chapters 38 to 41, after Job has been through all of his um, sufferings, and, his, and his, or he's still going through them, but his friends are offering all their advice, and then God speaks, and he says, Job, were you there when the world was made? Do you understand how this happens? Have you seen this? Do you know about this? And he goes through for 38, 30, four chapters, all about the wonders of creation. And at the end of it, chapter 42, Job says, I just didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> he said, it's, it's all, God, all of this is so beyond me. He said, there's so much that I don't understand. Friends, if we don't understand all of the wonders of creation, how much more can we understand, or how much less, rather, can we understand the creator himself? He's mysterious. He's the mighty, majestic God. But you might say, but, but surely Jesus came to make God clear to us. Yeah, we do understand him because Jesus came. Well, in many ways that's true. But in other ways, the fact that Jesus came has made the mystery even deeper. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, great is the mystery of godliness. So there's that word. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. The fact that God became a human being, the fact that the one who made the heavens and the earth became a tiny little baby in a manger, that's a mystery, isn't it? Can anybody explain it? Yeah, we might have all our sort of theological explanations and yeah, we can use big words and everything to um, explain what was going on there. But do we really understand it? Yeah, all of these... Um, actually, it's just another verse. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Colossians 2 actually speaks about Christ as being the mystery of God. The mystery of God, namely Christ. God is a mystery. Christ is a mystery. We do not fully understand that, you know, how... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're separate persons, but they're all one God. I can't explain this. It's mysterious. But the fact that it's mysterious should cause us to worship him. You know, there's... Um, I don't have any problems believing the many miracles that are in the Bible. There's miracles that have happened outside the, the Bible in people's lives in our day and generations. I don't have any any problem that God is a God of miracles. But there's, there's one miracle in the Bible which has always puzzled me. It's not that I don't believe it, but I could never quite understand it. And that's how when the wise men came to visit Jesus, no, I haven't got it up there, um, it says they followed this star that they saw in the east, and, and then the star came and stood over the place where Jesus was lying. How can a star stand over a house? 
Like a star belongs to the realm of the heavens, a house belongs to the realm of earth. You know, it's just unimaginable that a star that they'd been following on this long, long journey should now come and stand right over the house. I'll never forget a few Christmases ago, I went out for a walk, I think it was Boxing Day, to try and sort of like wear off the dinner, and I can remember the very spot at the end of my road where I was just sort of thinking about this verse as I walk along the, walked along the road, and suddenly God dropped into my heart just what happened to that star. That's what I did. I came from the realm of heaven to the realm of earth. And just as you can't understand how a star can stand over a house, so you cannot understand how almighty God can come and be a baby in a manger. You know, the star over the house is mysterious, but almighty God inside the house is even more mysterious. And oh, doesn't it make you want to worship him? It does me. A few years ago, I had a very difficult task to perform to phone a Christian lady who I knew in New Zealand to tell her that her sister in the United Kingdom had killed herself. Imagine, how am I going to convey that? How is this woman going to react? So I phoned her up, I broke the news as gently as I could and there was silence for a moment and then this lady said, John, let me read to you what I was reading just as the phone rang. And this is what she had in front of us, of her. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things to him. Be the glory forever. Amen. You see, that very mystery of God, the fact that he is beyond us, it should cause us to worship. Yeah, I make a point when I'm preaching of never telling anybody beforehand what I'm going to preach about, particularly people that are leading the meeting. I don't, I, I, I don't want them to engineer it around what I'm going to say. I like to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying earlier in the meeting. Sometimes that will cause me to change what I say. Um, but, you know, it's very inter- I was very blessed this morning because James said to me beforehand, I'm going to start with such and such a song. And I thought, okay, that's fine. But just as he got up, he said, oh, now let's sing a different song. And uh, the people on the desk were fumbling around for the words. But uh, yeah, that song was, yeah, blessed be your name. And uh, it's got that verse on it, on the road marked with suffering when there's pain in the offering. I have two friends who... One Saturday was standing at the bedside of their, in the hospital of their 16-year-old boy who wasn't expected to live through that weekend. And they stood at the bedside singing that song, Blessed Be Your Name. When there's pain in the offering, when, I can't remember all the words, but yeah. <laughs> Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. In fact, the boy did live through the weekend and he's living today and he's serving God today, many years later. But that doesn't always happen. But you know, when there are things that we're confronted with when we don't understand, you know, you're, you're talking to, um, to somebody and their child has been killed by a, a drunk driver or something. It's, we've got all our theology, all our things, but in the end, there are mysteries. I'll say more about that in the second one. Let's get to our second mystery, the snake on the rock. Oops, oops, oops. You, you all know who the snake is, don't you? Who, who's the snake? 
Satan, yeah. Right back at the beginning of the Bible, there he is in the Garden of Eden. And in the last book of the Bible, it actually says he sees the dragon, that ancient snake, who is the devil or Satan. So the snake is the devil, that's clear. Who is the rock? Well, we read earlier from Deuteronomy 32, and five times in that chapter, it says that God is the rock. There's actually one of my favorite choruses is based on it. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect and all his... His ways are perfect and all his... His work is perfect and all his ways are just. You see how famous years since I've sung it, but I love it. But the rock is God. And many... Actually, I was reading a psalm this morning that's, in which David says, God is my rock. Um, but actually, so God is the rock, but in the New Testament, something else emerges that those Old Testament people didn't realise. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes... Speaking of the Israelites in the wilderness, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Right, so we've been told in the Old Testament that the rock is God, but now we're told the rock is Christ because they are one. The Bible tells us Jesus was there in the beginning. By him everything was made. He was with God and he was God. He has always been there. So the, the rock is Christ. But this is our second mystery, this relationship between the snake and the rock, the relationship between Satan and Jesus. Now, on the one hand, and I hope we would all say, you know, Jesus is the Lord, he's utterly supreme, you know, he's far above Satan. But a lot of the time it doesn't look like that, does it? A lot of the time it looks as though Satan has got the upper hand. There's something mysterious about this, and the Bible actually speaks in 2 Thessalonians 2 about the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of sin. Right, so this is the, the second mystery, the fact that we have sin and suffering in the world is a mystery. And um, as I was saying, if we're confronted with somebody who's had something terrible happening in their life, you, uh, we can try and sort of explain theological things, but it somehow seems inadequate. But I tell you what isn't inadequate, that we can point that person to an even greater mystery, that the one who was absolutely perfect, who knew no sin, who didn't deserve anything to happen to him, he hung on a cross and died the most cruel death. You know, as Jesus was going to the, the, the cross, he said, this hour, right, belongs to the power of darkness. This, this is the, the hour of the power of darkness. And uh, you think, oh, so Satan was, that was all Satan's doing. Was it? It doesn't look like it to me. You know, actually, Jesus completely outmaneuvered Satan Satan thought, now I've got the Son of God on the cross. Yeah, now I've won the victory. About to throw a party amongst all the demons. And then Jesus says, it is finished. I have, I, I'm the one that's won the victory. Satan, you are defeated. For this reason, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil, the Scripture tells us. And he did it at Calvary. He turned the whole thing around. Now this was predicted right back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3 when this snake first appeared and 
and man and woman had yielded to the, uh, to the temptation. And God says to the snake, to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This was fulfilled at Calvary, right? So Jesus crushed the head of Satan. Hallelujah. But, in the pro- but it cost him something. Satan nipped him on the heel. It's not pleasant to be bitten on the heel by a snake. And in fact, Jesus died. But that wasn't the end. Three days later, he rose again. Victorious over death. Victorious over sin. Victorious over Satan. The mystery of the snake on the rock. It is a mystery. We still see Satan at work in the world today, in our lives today, in the church today. We see you know, Satan doing all sorts of things, but Jesus has conquered the snake. He is the rock. He is the great shepherd, the rock of all ages. Almighty God is he. Bow down before him, love and adore him. Oh, his name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. So that's the second mystery, the snake on the rock. Let's get to the third one. A ship on the high seas. Revelation 17 identifies waters as meaning this. The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. So the waters or the seas in scripture are a picture of all the nations of the world. Isaiah and Jeremiah both use the same illustration. Okay, so if the waters represent all of the nations of the earth, the ship on the waters is the people of God in the midst of all this turmoil. And all the way through the Bible, you'll find that God's people are in the water, (laughs) often in trouble, and yet they're preserved. So we have Noah's Ark. An ark simply means a box. That's the literal meaning of the word. Noah and seven other members of his family and all the animals were in this wooden box on the flood, and floating on top of the flood. Incidentally, whenever you see pictures of Noah's ark, the pictures always show it like a boat, shape of a boat. But there's no reason to think, there's nothing in the scripture that indicates that. It could have just been like a shoebox, because it never went anywhere. It just floated on the top of this ark for over a year, They were in there. That's the eight people that the whole future of humanity was in a wooden box floating on top of the water. That's pretty precarious, isn't it? Just imagine it had sprung a leak that he hadn't done all the joints quite accurately enough. Uh, What happens if one of the elephants had a panic attack? uh, Just think what what would have happened. But after a year, they came out safely from that ark. God had preserved them. But then a few years later, God's people, Israel, are in slavery. They're there for 400 years. And God has chosen a man, Moses, who's going to deliver them. And when Moses is a little baby, Pharaoh gives a a ruling saying, all the baby boys are to be thrown in the river Nile. And Moses' parents obeyed the king's command, except they took the precaution of putting the baby in a basket first before they put him in the river Nile. So there's Moses, this future great deliverer. He's in the river Nile in a basket, and it's very interesting. That word that's translated basket 
if you look it up in the Hebrew, it's exactly the same word as, as ark. So Noah was in an ark, Moses was in an ark, and uh, there he is in the river Nile. You know, again, what happens if the, the current had sort of swept him away down the aisle? What happens if Pharaoh's daughter had never come along and found him? There's a lot of what-ifs, but he's preserved through that. Then you've got the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and uh, 12 men on that sea, and a great storm comes up. Mark's Gospel says the water was already filling the boat. How precarious! And Jesus is asleep. Yeah, what happens if, if they hadn't managed to wake him up? Yeah, what happens if the wave had just turned the whole thing over? And you might say, well, that could never have happened because Jesus was in the boat. Okay, well, actually, you read on in Mark's Gospel, a few weeks later, they were in another storm, on the Sea of Galilee, and this time Jesus wasn't in the boat, but he actually came walking on the water towards them in the depths, in the middle of the night. But again, how precarious. These 12 men who Jesus had chosen to carry on the message that he'd given them, to take it to all nations of the earth, there they are in a boat, in a storm, and about to perish. Then you've got the Apostle Paul. You can read in the Acts 27, how he was in a shipwreck and they had to swim ashore onto the island of Malta, some of them clinging onto bits of wood. Yeah, this is the guy who's going to take the gospel all the way across Europe. If it hadn't have been for Paul, maybe the gospel would never have reached you and me today. And yet here he is in a shipwreck, almost drowning. You read in 1 Corinthians, he says he was in three shipwrecks in his life. Three shipwrecks. You think, boy, was, it, was this the right guy to be doing this? You know, he, he seems a bit sort of accident prone and all sorts of bad things happened to him. But God preserved him through all of that. The church is like a ship on the high seas. And you, look, you read church history. There have been times in history when the church has almost been eradicated, when there was you know, hardly any true believers left. And, you might, and people might have thought, that's it, you know, all these crazy Christians have gone now and uh, we can just do our own thing, we can make up our own religions and everything but God was watching over that ship on the high seas and preserving it and it's not going to get easier you know, we're, we're, it's not going to suddenly be converted into some you know, wonderful ocean liner that, well, there isn't any such thing, even the Titanic sank but uh, you know, it, it, it's, we are always you know, subject to all the um, everything that's going on round about us, and yet God ensures, and Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The ship on the high seas. Okay, so let's see what the New Testament says about this mystery. Ephesians 3, Paul says it was God's intention to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God has chosen this weak vessel, the church. Yeah, what a, a motley bunch of weak people and sinners and people who keep failing and uh, churches that keep messing up. God has chosen us lot to make known his wisdom to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Another scripture says he's chosen the weak things of this world. He's chosen the foolish in order to confound the wise. 
Oh, hallelujah. Do you, do you feel foolish this morning? Do you, do you feel weak? God has chosen you to, to display to the so-called wise of this world and say, look at all this lot. Yeah, th- these are the ones through whom I'm achieving my purpose. These are the ones that no matter what they go through, no matter how rocky the storm and that ship on the sea, they come out the other side and I'm going to bring them all the way through to glory. And they're like a trophy in my hand to say, look, these are my people. See my people? Oh, hallelujah. So that the glory doesn't go to us because everybody can see that we could never have done any of it on our own. But the glory goes to Almighty God who preserved the ship on the high seas. So that's the uh, third mystery. But then the, the fourth one and the most amazing, the way of a man with a young woman. And behind these other three mysteries is the greatest mystery of all. And it's a love story that Christ loved the church. This is what the Bible says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And then later in the same chapter, he says, this is a profound mystery, or this is a great mystery. So the other three were mysteries, but this one's the greatest of all. He says, I am talking about Christ and the church. Yeah, the fact that Jesus should love this bunch of people and give himself up for the church, that's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that a mystery? A guy called Graham Kendrick wrote a wonderful song. Um, Meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who is God. And then the chorus says, Oh, what a mystery, meekness and majesty. Bow down and worship, for this is our God. And this is our God who's come from heaven to earth. He's preserved his people through all the ages. And now today, he brings his love to you and I in the church because he loved us and he gave himself for us. So, that's the four mysteries. The eagle in the sky is God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The snake on the rock is Satan and Christ, but Christ has crushed the head of Satan. A ship on the high seas is a church, the church in the world preserved through all of that. And a man with a woman is Christ and the church. He loved us and he gave himself for us. I'm wondering whether to... I'll I'll go on. (laughs) I I was possibly going to leave it there, but I'm going to put a sort of a a PS on it. If we go back to Proverbs 30, there's actually a fifth mystery there in the next verse, right? So we read those two verses about the four mysteries, and the fifth mystery, in Proverbs 30 and verse 20, it says... This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. That comes immediately after the passage that we've been looking at. Okay, this is what we call a euphemism, right? That's a, that's a big word, right? But a euphemism is when there's something you don't really want to say, so you say it another way. So instead of saying, I'm going to the toilet, you say, I'm going to the bathroom, or... Jim would say, I'm going to the restroom. And uh, 
strange place to go and have a rest. But uh, anyway, so that's what a euphemism is. Okay, this is a euphemism for having sex. It says, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth. She has an adulterous relationship. And then she says, I've done nothing wrong. She carries on in this way and then she says, she thinks nothing of it. It's nothing. Okay. The New Testament, just as it speaks about those first four mysteries, it speaks about this fifth mystery as well. In the book of Revelation, it speaks about a woman called Babylon. She held a golden cup in her hands, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and abominations on the earth. Later on in that chapter, it says that all of the earth were under the sway of this woman. Now, I'm not going to go into who the woman is, if indeed I knew. There's lots of different theories and ideas about it that we haven't got time to debate this morning. I've got my ideas, you may have yours. But this is the key thing. In Revelation 18, John says, I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. You see, we have a choice today whether we're going to be like the adulterous woman who just carries on in her own way and says, oh, it's nothing, it doesn't matter. Just a relationship who nobody's hurt. And, uh, or we can look at the one who has loved us with a love that is so true and he's carried on and on loving us despite all our unfaithfulness. And we can decide to go the way of the world or we can decide to go his way. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. Which way are you going to go this morning? Are you going to follow the Almighty God, even though at times there are things he does in your life that you don't understand, and you think, God, why did you let that happen to me? Why did you let that happen to my child? And yet we still say, but I'm going to worship you because you're God. Even though I don't understand you, I will worship you because you're God and because in Christ you showed me your love. Or will we just say, that was an interesting message this morning. It didn't quite get all of it, but uh, it, was, it was interesting. And just go your way and forget all about it. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing mystery of you and of your love. Christ loved me and gave himself for me. Oh God, I shall never understand this. I cannot understand, Lord, the depth of your love for me. But oh God, I want to worship you all of my days. I want to praise you and bless you and honour you for who you are and what you are and all that you've done for me. I give you glory and I pray that each person here will leave with that song of praise in their heart to you and determine by your grace to walk with you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. If anybody wants prayer, if you've never asked Christ to be the Lord of your life, if you've never believed on Jesus Christ as your saviour, please come up. People will pray with you afterwards if there's anything else you want prayer for. God bless you. Let's stand and sing, Let It Be Jesus.
I'll never need another 